From WXXI News, this is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Our connection this hour is made with the question, is there a teacher shortage? And the answer depends on who and where you ask. According to USA Today, there is no national teacher shortage right now. In a piece about the educator burnout published late last year, it reads many classrooms have all the educators they need and in some cases never had vacancies to begin with. Yet shortages in many others persist. Staffing levels can vary significantly by state, by district, by school, by subject, and even grade level. According to experts in New York, the state has a looming teacher shortage to come. According to NYSET, the New York State Union of Teachers, the state's going to need 180,000 new teachers over the next 10 years, with big city and rural districts reporting severe shortages or projecting shortages in many subject areas. What does the situation look like at the local level, and how can districts recruit and retain qualified teachers? And frankly, for people thinking about a career, is this more of an open door? When you think about how competitive teaching has been and how hard it's been to, to get jobs, is that picture changing? Our guest this hour will discuss those questions and more, and let me welcome them now. In studio with us is Adrian Loftus, who is coordinator for the Teacher Immersion Fellows Program at Monroe 2 Orleans BOCES. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Tell us about what the program entails. Yeah, it's a really unique and exciting program in that it's a partnership amongst Monroe 2 Orleans BOCES, 32 different public K-12 school districts, and 10 different colleges or universities in our Rochester area. And ultimately, what we try to do is we recruit, hire, and then place our, our college students in school districts as substitute teachers. So not only can they get paid teaching experience in a real-life setting in front of actual students, but they also get professional development that's also paid as part of our program in order to further build their skills and um, their repertoire of strategies for teaching students. We'll talk more about how this program works coming up here. Let me also welcome on the line with us Ned Dale. Ned is Assistant Superintendent for Human Resources in the Hilton Central School District. Ned, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you for having me. And Cedric Michael Simmons joins us. Cedric is Director of Equity for the Greece Central School District and a Ph.D. candidate. Cedric, thanks for being with us as well. Thank you so much. It's a blessing to be here. Cedric, when, when people bring up a teacher shortage, if someone is chatting with you about your work and they say, is there a teacher shortage, what do you say? <laughs> um, I would say that we definitely could uh, use a lot more um, folks from the community who are interested in being teachers, um, both in the short term and the long term, and also that we also want to keep in mind um, our values in the sense that um, we, don't, we want teachers who um, have a commitment to equity, to culturally responsive education, um, to support the, diver the needs of our diverse student population. Ned, what about you if that subject comes up? Is there a teacher shortage? Uh, you know, I think there is a, a teacher shortage. Uh, we currently have vacancies uh, for positions, um, contract substitute positions, which means a teacher, a certified teacher would report every day. Uh, we don't have applicants. Um, so, yes, I would absolutely say uh, we have a teacher shortage. And um, Adrian, if that question comes up to you, I mean, you're you're working to prepare people for this field. But in general, do you see a current shortage? Is it more like a projective short, projected shortage in the years to come? How do you see it? Oh, I see it as a current shortage as well. And, and I'll echo just the thoughts of my other colleagues here. It's not about just getting anyone into the field of education. It's really important that we get the right people in the field of education. So uh, let me just run down a little bit of data that we tried to collect this week. Um, 
Because as I said at the out, outset, I mean, I remember back in you know, maybe six, seven years ago talking to the then superintendent of East Rochester, and he was saying they get 200 resumes for every teaching job that comes open, and it was pretty remarkable. But that was starting to shrink, and we were starting to see the trend go in a different direction. Now, that was the better part of a decade ago, and what we wanted to do – now, granted, we've got listeners all throughout the Finger Lakes on WEOS, most of the way to Ithaca, most of the way to Syracuse and Buffalo. So this is just a snapshot of Monroe County, and this is just in the last few days. So some districts did not get back to us, as you're here going to hear. But we asked um, districts individually, do you currently have a shortage? Um, and um, how many teachers in your district do you anticipate leaving the profession? Um, how many teachers do you anticipate you're going to need to hire in the next 10 years or so. So just quickly down the list, Brighton says uh, there are shortages in the following certification areas in Brighton. English for new learners, technology, speech, teachers of the deaf, teachers of the visually impaired, special education, science in all areas, foreign language in all areas. And they write that securing part teachers in any area is difficult. And there's also a shortage in student support areas such as occupational therapy and physical therapy. They estimate 37 teachers could retire or leave that district in the next five years. They estimate 70 teachers could retire or leave in the next 10 years. Um, let me also go down the list. Churchville, Chile, no response. And I'll say, we reached out this week. I know districts are busy, so we're trying to give them a little space. I'm only going to read um, what they were able to send us. But, you know, no condemnation. They're they're busy. We get it. Uh, East Irondequoit, no response from them. East Rochester says they're experiencing staffing shortages in all support staff job titles, as well as all per diem titles. Additionally, they say we have a vendor who's currently unable to provide 1.2 FTE of counseling services. They are currently staffed with teachers, but they anticipate um, teacher shortages in at least in special class, special education, ENL, and counseling at East Rochester. They anticipate 10 retirements over the next three years at ER. Uh, nothing from Fairport. Gates Chilai tells us there is not currently a teacher shortage in their district, but there are certification-specific shortages for subjects such as world language teachers, technology teachers, business teachers, etc., and they say that important to note that the substitute teacher shortage is very real and impacts everyone at all levels. This is being felt across the country, the county and likely across the state and the country. So that is from Gates Chilai. Greece tells us, like many districts, we are experiencing a bit of a shortage, but we are fortunate that it is not significant. Right now, they say in Greece, we've got 17.8 teacher vacancies. That's, what, that's the number, 17.8 teacher vacancies, which represents about 1.6% of the teaching staff in Greece. Another issue districts are facing, they write, is the lack of substitute teachers available to fill short-term absences and medical leaves. And they write that as the pool of teaching candidates gets narrower, so does the pool of substitutes. They have not experienced a significant teacher shortage, but the signs are that one is coming. They anticipate losing approximately two 170 teachers over the next five years, about 5% of their current teaching staff. That's in Greece. In Hilton, is there currently a teacher shortage in your district? They say, yes, there is a teacher shortage in Hilton. We've got a shortage every day for substitute positions for all roles. Previously, we would see 100 applications for an elementary teaching position. Recently, we saw less than 10 applications. They say that we fill about 58% of our substitute positions weekly. About 25% of their st uh, staff could retire in the next five years. And while it's tough to predict, they're saying about over the next 10 years, they're going to need another 100 to 150 new teachers in Hilton alone. Um, before I continue, that is striking. 
to go from 100 applications on average for an elementary teaching job to around 10 or less. Evan, Evan, I think I can address that with you. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I figured you could, Ned. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was a principal in the middle school in Spencerport for 11 years, um, and I can remember, uh, you know, human resources sending over a box for a sixth grade part-time position with 250 applicants um, many years ago. Again, that is not the case anymore. And I think the most concerning piece is, and, and again, my colleagues have said it well, is we don't want to put anyone in the classroom. We want to put the best person in the classroom. And when you see candidate pools that are uh, essentially so small, um, you, you know, you, you, I begin to start worrying about quality. I think the other piece that is super important to mention is the fact that when we don't have substitute positions, and again, education is unique in the fact that students need to be supervised. We hope to continue their instruction uh, during a teacher absence. Um, it, it requires other teachers or other uh, support staff to cover for these individuals. Uh, so though it causes a great deal of stress when, when you have a planning period of day and you give it up to cover a colleague uh, to make sure that you can continue the instruction and the lesson plans that have been left. Um, but again, or a teaching assistant fills in for a teacher. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you know, what were they assigned to be doing that they could not do that day? So those are those are significant uh, issues. And and again, when we say that people are eligible to retire, um, we know that the economy sometimes drives that. We know sometimes stress uh, and those pieces drive that. So uh, we are we are very worried uh, here in Hilton about making sure that we have high quality teachers in our classrooms all the time. Uh, and I started with the district in, in uh, July of 21. Uh, and, and that's been a major focus of mine is making sure we have the highest quality people in front of kids. Uh, we're going to come back to some of these specific areas. Let me just finish down the list here. Uh, Brockport, I skipped Brockport. Brockport uh, Central School District, they say, we are currently experiencing a teacher shortage. Anticipate 30 to 40 teachers retiring or leaving the district over the next five years. Um, Penfield says, although we have been able to fill all full-time probationary positions, we have experienced shortages, especially for short-term and extended leave. And we've seen shortages in the candidate pools for specific tenure areas, such as science. They anticipate over the next 10 years needing 150 to 200 new teachers in the district of Penfield alone. No response from Pittsburgh. Rochester could not provide data at this time. No response from Rush Henrietta. Spencerport, um, a person who could pull that data has been out of the office, so couldn't help this week. Webster could not find... Uh, uh, I don't think we were in touch with Webster. Okay, to be fair. And Westeron Dequoit, um, they say, we are definitely seeing a shortage in some teaching certification areas. For example, 7 to 12 special education and, and having fewer applicants than in, in years past in all areas. So, again, the applicant pools are down, they say. Um, and in Wheatland, trial, I know response there. So that's your list. And um, you heard some of Ned's initial thoughts. Um, Adrian, what stands out to you from some of what you just heard there? Well, I'm not surprised about, you know, really anything that, that you said there. And that's one of the reasons why I think the TIF program, the Teacher Immersion Fellows Program, is, is so important because it seeks to start to essentially educate um, younger students and integrate uh, college students into what it's like to be part of a school district and essentially get them hooked on education, essentially get them hooked on being part of a culture and not just being in the field of education, but staying in the field of education. So I think that that has been one kind of effective way that we've tried to start to, to turn the tide a little bit, but 
we do need to see more people in the TIF program. We do need to see more people considering education as a career path. Why do you think fewer people are becoming applicants? Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, negativity around education. The narrative has been negative um, for for a while. And I do see uh, teacher burnout as well. Um, but when I see teacher burnout, I wonder about um, the, the potential lack of support that um, teachers could be getting or the, the sense that maybe they don't feel like they're part of a community. So when I hear things like that, I try to make sure that at least in our TIF program for our TIF fellows, that we provide that support, we provide that community to fight against some of the things that we're seeing happening on a large scale in our area. Cedric, what do you make of the data that we just ran down? Yeah, thank you. I know um, to um, Ned's point earlier, one of the things that definitely um, I think we should always keep in mind is that uh, when we do not have enough substitute teachers or if we have um, a significant amount of teachers who are out for a wide range of reasons, especially as we've experienced during this pandemic, um, then you have to go down the list and you have to start um, asking some of our staff who are reading teachers or support staff to, um, to help us um, get through these periods. And, um, and that's definitely a lot to ask of, of those staff, especially if it has to be done um, repeatedly uh, because um, many of them uh, take their specific jobs um, as support staff or as reading teachers or what have you very seriously. And we also know that there's a, definitely some, some high levels of needs across the board, especially when we look at literacy rates. And so um, taking that all in, um, the amount of pressure and the weight and the responsibilities that we are putting on our teachers and our administrators, um, frankly, is, is pretty high. It could be taxing. And I think that's why one of the many things that we are talking about, not only in our district, but I'm sure in other districts as well, is um, how can we provide that, that support to our teachers who we have now? Because one of the best ways to ensure that we have an increase in applications in the short term and long term is our current staff feeling as if that they are valued, um, that they are being viewed as professionals, that they're providing, getting the supports that they need, and that will increase the likelihood of them reaching out to peers uh, through word of mouth to suggest that, um, to not only promote the profession in general, but promote the, our district um, specifically. Uh, but I will also say that in our district and other districts as well, folks are being rock stars in taking on um, all these responsibilities and supporting our kids as much as possible. But um, we just do want to recognize that um, we really are asking a lot of our teachers and administrators um, for a lot of needs that also um, could use much more support um, from the broader community, too. Yeah. Uh, Ned, when, when you talk about, Ned, going from 100 applicants to 10 and that box being much smaller, um, when, when did that start to happen? And, and I, I wonder if you thought that would ever be something that you would have seen in your career. So, you know, as a former principal, I, I, you know, I was always amazed at the quality of candidates that we would see. And, and quite can as I said earlier, the, the amount of candidates that we would see. Um, I have a unique perspective in that when I became superintendent at Elba Central Schools uh, from 2018 till 21, um, that's a small rural school district uh, located directly between Rochester and Buffalo. Um, we, we did not see the candidate pools uh, that I saw as a Monroe County principal, uh, not even close so I, I knew I, I knew that there was something. Uh, I can remember countless friends and, and colleagues that moved to North Carolina, Virginia, to take on teaching positions in the 2000s um, because they couldn't find jobs here. 
Um, and now we're starting to see a migration back. Those same individuals are starting to apply. Um, but that's a, again, that's a, you know, unique, the fact that we're seeing these, um, you know, they want to be close to family again. They went, they've talked for five to 10 years uh, down in Virginia, North Carolina, and now they're coming back. But I think my greatest concern is I've had quite a bit of conversations with local universities is uh, teacher preparation programs are seeing about a 53% decrease. Uh, and, and that is a shortage that will uh, all again, as we think about teacher shortage, is that immediate or is it future? I think it's both because that means your pipeline is down 53%. Um, and when we went from 100 applications now to 10, um, what will that be like uh, as that 53% teacher enrollment you know, preparation programs at local universities uh, going to feed us for applicant pools later? Um, in a minute, it's going to sound like I'm doing PR for what Adrian's doing, and I'm trying not to. But at the same time, I, I want to know how this program is going to try to feed some of these needs and, um, frankly, who's eligible and how, you, how you've set this up. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Let me just ask Cedric and Ned briefly here. What we tried to collect this week was a snapshot of today. And at, and at the very least, as we heard in district after district, what we've got are a real problem with substitute teachers. Some schools have a problem with filling teaching positions at all right now. A lot of issues um, with special ed and a lot of other specialized disciplines in teaching right now uh, or in the offing in the next few years. But I want to look over the next decade. We're talking nice. It says 180,000 teachers needed in the state in the next decade. And I'm finally sort of kind of believing that. <laughs> like when I look at the data, I'm going, at first I was like, that's a lot of teachers. And then you go, okay, I, I, I see it. And so, um, Cedric, if we don't, if the trend lines don't reverse or slow down in the next five to 10 years, what does that look like in schools and what are you most concerned about? That's a big question. Um, <laughs> I, I will say that I, I'm definitely uh, would be very concerned about um, the impact of um, the, like I said, the increased needs, increased needs that we have for our amazing families and our communities. Um, that means increased responsibilities and supports needed from um, our amazing staff and, and our administrators. And so I would be worried about um, the, the long-term implications of just the, the I guess, the taxation um, on the uh, both the labor and the emotional labor on many of our staff. Um, the other thing I, I would be worried about is um, just the uh, how do I say this? Um, uh, the increased amount of momentum in that direction. So if we see less and less people um, going going into the pipeline of, of teaching, that means less people. Um, promoting in the process of, of, of going to school, promoting the idea of becoming educators. And then actually just, um, I would be worried that it would increase, um, the pace would increase as opposed to um, it being steadily um, going in the negative direction. Yeah. And lastly, I would just say um, just briefly that we're talking about our babies. We're talking about our kids in this world. And we know education is, is absolutely the top of our priorities um, for the next generation. So I'd be worried about the impact of um, the decreased amount of high quality education that we have for our students while also recognizing that we have amazing people who are doing the best they can. Cedric, could we also see um, fewer specialties or electives offered and, and bigger class sizes? Is, is that part of this? Um, I do not want to speculate and suggest that would be the case, especially knowing that we have certain um, requirements that we have to abide by from the state. So I don't want to speculate if that would be the case, but I, if I was a family, if I was, I, I would, I could understand why the worry um, would be there, um, but I do not want to speculate and suggest that's exactly what could happen. Okay. Uh, Ned, do you agree with that? 
Uh, well, actually, I, I would say that it's happening right now. I, I know that I believe there are eight technology teacher openings right now across the county um, that have been posted since September. So, uh, again, that's, again, our greatest fear in Hilton is to be able to have to pare back our diverse offerings for students. Uh, there's a large push for a science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Um, you know, we, one of the things that we have we, we have used, and uh, again, I, I'm so grateful for the teachers in Hilton and our retirees. Uh, we have brought back retirees to fill these critical positions. Uh, we had two positions uh, in mathematics at 712 uh, in late August that were still open, and retirees uh, stepped forward, came back, called us, and said, hey, I'd love to do this. Um, a technology teacher at the middle school, uh, again, filling in for a colleague who, you know, who became sick. So, again, that's super important is to think that um, we need to think about using our retirees and having them come back. Uh, to fill critical positions so that we're not increasing class size, we're not cutting offerings. What do you think the worst case scenario looks like over the next decade? Uh, I think, you know, the worst case scenario is uh, paring things down to an English, social studies, math, science, uh, and, you know, meeting the foreign language requirements or other requirements and just meeting bare minimums. Uh, something that we're proud of here in Hilton is that we're an international baccalaureate uh, district and something that, uh, you know, we take pride in. Uh, we'll be be able to continue to maintain, um, you know, that program, uh, which is, you know, a highlight in our district. Um, that's a, that's a significant and very real concern when you're seeing, uh, you know, two, you know, two applicants for a technology position, three applicants for a technology position. Um, that that's scary. Listeners, I've I've got um, a growing pile of email from you on this subject, which we will get to in our second half hour. If you want to call the program as we talk about the current state of teaching, the shrinking candidate pools that districts are already seeing. And, you know, interesting, Ned Dale, who is Assistant Superintendent for Human Resources in Hilton, is telling us that when he was superintendent out at Elba, you know, a rural district, they were already seeing it. It was kind of a canary in a coal mine. I mean, they were seeing it. Now we're seeing it um, in big districts, small districts, rural, more urban, suburban. Um, so smaller candidate pools, and eventually, possibly, if the trend doesn't uh, arrest in some way, real teacher shortages that are going to last and grow. So um, we've got issues with subs, specialized uh, disciplines already. And um, I was a skeptic coming into this hour. I'm not going to lie. When I first saw this conversation, I thought, well, we used to have like a million teachers uh, applying for every position. So big deal. Now we have half a million. <laughs> that's not the case. Uh, it, it, uh, the data is now reflecting that the trend is going in the direction of a real shortage over the next decade if it doesn't turn around. So um, if you want to call the program, it's 844-295-TALK, 844-295-8255, 263-WXXI for calling from Rochester, 263-9994. You can email the program, connections at wxxi.org. Along with Ned Dale, Cedric Michael Simmons is with us. Um, Cedric is Director of Equity for the Greece Central School District. And in studio, Adrian Loftus is Coordinator for the Teacher Immersion Fellows Program at Monroe 2 Orleans BOCES. And we're going to talk to Adrian on the other side of this break about some of the work they're doing and what that actually looks like in practice. And we'll take your feedback as well on the other side of this, our only break of the hour. Coming up in our second hour, we welcome Catherine Stewart, the author of a book on the rise of religious nationalism in the United States. She's an investigative journalist who has covered this subject for more than a decade, and she's coming to Rochester at the invitation of an interfaith local group to talk about it. But how does she define religious nationalism or spiritual warfare? We'll talk about it with the author next hour.
This is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Let me get through some feedback first before we kind of dive in um, with Adrian on what the program is is doing. Uh, Alex says, I'm sorry, this is from Eileen. Eileen says, I'm a recent retiree. I taught kindergarten for 34 years and continue to work as a volunteer and substitute teacher. From my perspective, there is certainly an issue with keeping qualified and quality teachers in the classroom. For substitutes alone, there are literally hundreds of jobs that are available and unfilled on a daily basis. Additionally, my colleagues still in the classroom are under extreme stress due to the needs of children in the classroom and also the lack of respect from all levels of administration. Children are in crisis every day, and I personally endured being hit, kicked, spit at, even bitten on a regular basis. The needs of these children are not being met, and teachers bear most of the responsibility for dealing with this every day. Administration wants to put a positive spin on the situation, but the struggle is real. That is from Eileen. And um, on the subject of some of the, the question of what, uh, what substitutes can, you know, the issues with substitutes, Patrick says, substitute teachers, it seems, uh, this to be a really easy category to attack when it comes to filling positions. But what are they paid? How much can a part-time substitute teacher make in a week? Or how much can support staff make? That is a good question. Adrian Loftus, do you have an answer for that? I do. So um, for the Teacher Immersion Fellows Program, we pay our fellows who are college students, so they're getting paid you know, experience while they're still in school, at the rate of $110 a day. And then they also have paid professional development courses to help build their skills. Okay. Um, I, I wonder if you are a substitute in Hilton, Ned Dale. How do you do there? Yeah, again, it, it, the, Adrian and I are going to fall in line 110 to 115. I think you're going to find most districts around that for a, a daily substitute position. Okay. Same, Cedric? Yep. Yep. Okay. So. Um, or similar, yes. Yeah. So, so mm -hmm. roughly thereabouts. Um, is that an issue, Cedric? Does that need to change? Um, I know that in the last um, year and as we continue um, to improve our schools, um, I know that um, there have been um, increases in the rates to try to um, deal with the, the labor shortage um, and to also make sure that we pay not only competitive but um, a fair wage to, to our substitutes. Um, I'm not sure if, um, if we can solely reduce um, it to the um, compensation issue, um, but I also think that um, it's hard not in this economy um, to to believe or to suggest that in general um, issues with um, all, all of us needing um, some more money in our pockets may be part of the issue. Okay. Ned, uh, how do you feel about what subs are paid and, and can that change? Um, yeah, I think, again, if you raise the rate and you said, okay, well, we'll offer 145, I'm not sure that there's the candidate pool because, again, as, as I indicated in the survey that WXSI sent me, you know, we're filling 53% of our openings, maybe 58% of our openings. So I don't think you're going to see a candidate pool. I don't, I don't think it increases our pool. It, it compensates people better. And, again, we appreciate our substitutes uh, uh, greatly. Uh, we added, as part of our budget last year, we added five contract substitute positions, one for each of our schools, um, to decrease the stress in the buildings, have someone to report every day, because we have so many positions unfilled every day. But, Ned, if you go from 100, 110, 120 to, I mean, this is just entirely a thought experiment, but if you go to 400 a day, you're going to get more people applying aren't you, or in the pool, aren't you? Well, I think, I think you're seeing that down in North Carolina and Virginia, where they've 
gone to a $300 a day experience. And the difficulty becomes is now you're, you're getting close to what um, a teacher is paid who's full-time tenured and those things. Now, again, substitute teachers do not come with the benefits um, that a contract, uh, a contracted uh, probationary position would. Um, but you definitely, you definitely want to be mindful of that because again, we're making sure that uh, w there's a candidate pool and, and there, you know, I don't know, there isn't nothing to hide. There is not a candidate pool uh, like we used to see to fill these vacancies. Hmm, okay. Uh, Dave writes to say, my wife has been an RCSD teacher for 15 plus years. One issue I see is that teachers, full-time teachers, are severely underpaid. Do your guests have any comments on that? Adrian, do you hear concern about that for the people in your program? You know, I will, I will be completely honest with you. Everybody wants to be paid more. Don't get me wrong about that. That would be great to see an increase in pay. But I haven't heard that concern on the part of any of my fellows. Um, the things that they have asked for that we've responded with are more support, um, more targeted professional development. Um, I think people want to feel like they're part of a community and um, they are, are, you know, willing to to do the work and engage in the field of education and the passion that they went into education to kind of satisfy if they feel supported in that endeavor. And of course, pay is important too. I'm not gonna pretend like it's not, but that has not been a concern that's been brought to my attention on the part of fellows at this point. Okay, um, Ned, uh, how do you feel about teacher pay at this point and um, how, much would it, how much of an impact do you think it would have if we saw a significant increase? Um, again, if the, if you correct the pipeline, it might change compensation. Um, I, you know, I'm pleased to report that, you know, the district is currently under contract with our teachers. Uh, we signed a five-year contract last year with them um, so that they had fair compensation and, and quality benefits. Uh, so, but again, I, I think everybody, has, as Adrian indicated, uh, would also like to be paid more, um, but I'm not sure it corrects the issue because the only thing that might change is um, people will leave one district that might be in Greece are in Churchville and come to Hilton. Uh, and again, we just get back into that back and forth of stealing of staff. What do you think, Cedric? Yeah, I think that um, uh, uh, just like in Hilton, um, we um, have had significant, or sorry, I should say in Greece, we've had significant increases um, um, that's coming up um, in compensation um, for our teachers based on negotiations between uh, labor and our administration. And I think also uh, in general, yeah, I, when I talk to folks um, who I work with as equity director, to be candid, I'm not the, the head of HR, um, a lot of things that I, that I do hear about um, tends to be um, tied to um, support, wanting to feel as if that um, your voice has been heard, and also wanting to feel as if that um, you can make a difference in the lives of our students with so much need going around, and knowing that, um, and, and knowing that because sometimes that feeling um, can be lost right now, it's, 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 it, it could just be quite difficult right now. Well, here's an email from... Oh, oh, no, go ahead, Ned. Yep. Uh, sorry, I was just going to add one thing. You know, uh, one of the pieces that we took uh, this year, and uh, we just finished uh, a survey of all of our staff, um, anybody, teacher uh, or support staff, um, that started in July. So July 1st to uh, now, uh, it was about 110 people. And we, we surveyed them to see uh, how could we improve? Uh, how are they feeling? Did, they, did, did the job that they signed up for, uh, is, was the role explained to them well? Um, we have areas for growth. Uh, I think we have areas that we can improve quickly. Compensation did not come up in the survey, um, but the, the support did. Um, 
uh, additional time for curriculum, uh, additional time for professional development. Uh, those issues came up. Uh, and again, when you're under the shortage that we are for substitutes, it's tough to release a third grade team uh, at one point when you don't have substitutes to replace them, uh, knowing that they need PD. Uh, so it either has to be done after school, off hours, et cetera. Well, let's talk about this. I mean, Steve writes to say, Evan, I'm a retired educator who has subbed in various districts and have loved the experience. Let me recommend this to anyone looking to earn some money and give back to the community to consider subbing. Every day is something different. It's meaningful work. You don't have to take work home necessarily. What's not to love? That is from Steve. Um, but for people looking for a, a career, interested in a career, um, when we talk about pathways to getting more teachers and more people into teaching careers... Um, you know, we hear about Step Up for Schools and the second pathway, uh, the most expansive program under which is the Teacher Immersion Fellows Program that Adrian runs. And I'm reading here, Adrian, you've got, what, 10 local colleges now participating, 32 K-12 schools, um, and more than 100 college students enrolled this spring. Is that correct? Yep, we have 102. Okay. Mm -hmm. And these are, again, for people who are just joining us, these are college students who want to do what with their careers? Well, that's the thing. Um, we can't put them into one bucket when it comes to that because any college student could apply to become part of the program. So they could be pursuing... They don't have to be in education. They don't have to be in education. So most of our um, you know, interest in the program is education majors, and that makes sense. So people who want that paid experience in the classroom, they want to start making connections, they want to start building their reputation in a district where potentially they might seek employment later. Um, but that doesn't mean that everyone is an education major. So for some of our participants... They might be trying education to think about if they want to get a master's in education and pursue that as a long-term goal. And uh, I know at least one of our fellows this semester is just trying it out to see if maybe uh, he wants to switch his major. So it could be um, a part-time job for a college student um, who's going to be part of the program, take professional development. We're not going to put him in the classroom with no skills, with no tools. Um, he'll be going through our professional development program. Um, but, you know, it's a nice way to you know, give back to the community and, without necessarily committing to the field of education for life. Although I wonder if he might change his mind once he gets in and really enjoys the culture in a building. I suspect realistically you'll have some who say, thanks, uh, nice to get 110 bucks a day, no way I'm doing that for a career. But you'll have some who might see that that's where they want to be. Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense for how that breaks? I mean, do you think... Of your dozens, more than 100 in there right now, a majority are going to end up teachers, a, pl a, 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 a quarter perhaps, uh, something else? Yeah. So when I think about that, I think about fit. So if I have somebody who's interested in substitute teaching, the first thing I'm going to be excited about is the fact that they want to join the program and I'm going to place them. I'm very careful about where I place them when it comes to our 32 districts. Um, so... I place that person at a district. They serve in that district for the course of the semester. Now, that being said, if they determine that education is potentially not for them, I'm going to have a conversation with them first. They're welcome to leave the program after the one semester commitment. But the first thing I'm wondering is something drew you to education is 
the culture in the building or the culture at the district not the right fit for you? Can we try to have you serve at a different district to see if that's a better fit? And for some people, that might be a way to keep them in education, but for others, education's not for them. So they get to add it to their resume that they, you know, worked on skills in a classroom like communication and problem solving, and it's a great experience, but they move on to a different career. That happens too. You taught for 13 years, is that right? I did. In mm-hmm. ELA? ELA. Did you think that that was going to be it for the rest of your career? Nope. You didn't? Um, I absolutely loved my time teaching. Um, I taught at incredible districts. I I just I met incredible students. I worked with great colleagues. I was a department chair on that Wheatland Chilai Central School District. It just really was a pleasure. But my favorite part of my position was always mentoring the new teachers. And so when I thought about, um, you know, my next step in my career, uh, I loved working with other teachers. I loved pedagogy, teaching other people how to teach. I did professional developments with other teachers. Um, While I loved working with students, I thought I could have a greater impact in working with teachers. So pursued uh, an additional certification and knew I wanted to step into a position. And the TIFF program is a perfect position that matches that enthusiasm, that passion. A chance to, I mean... How much is mentoring at at the center of what the program includes? Yeah, so I think of the program as um, like a recruiting hiring piece, like an HR piece, a building relationships piece, because I have so many stakeholders. I've got my 32 districts, 102 fellows, 10 colleges. I'm always looking for more colleges, so I'm always kind of, you know, reaching out. Um, And then the mentoring and teaching piece. So um, we do instructional coaching with our fellows. We have a very robust professional development cycle with our fellows. Because I'm able to hire the fellows, I get to know them a little bit during that interview process. I think about who they are as people, their level of experience. I want to make that one-on-one connection with them. And then when I think about coaching and professional development, I really try to personalize that for each one of of, um, my people in the program. And 102, I mean, that's possible with numbers like that, that I can have that personalized experience for them. I I think all three of our guests, um, this is where our our listeners, like, remind me that Abbott Elementary is not a documentary. It's a fictional (laughs) show. Uh, But, but, you know, uh, uh, for those who watched, okay, look, if you don't watch the show, there's something wrong with you. You should watch the show. It's phenomenal. Uh, Barbara and Janine are two teachers, and Barbara, you know, kind of is annoyed with Janine in many ways, but she's very loving. Janine gets annoyed with Barbara in certain ways. Janine's the younger teacher. Barbara's been there for a long time. Janine clearly looks up to Barbara and kind of thinks of her as a mentor, but they're very different. And um, the the kind of the conditions uh, of so many different things are different when Janine is getting into teaching at a young age compared to when Barbara did decades ago. And so, yes, it's fictional, but realistically, if you want to mentor teachers in their 20s might feel like, look, it's not quite the same climate when um, when mentor teachers who are decades older, who might mean well, um, you know, it was kind of a different world. There was different supports. Um, now there's different strictures. And, you know, we talk about stereotyping of teachers and all these things happening. Can you find the right fits? And is that difficult, Adrian? I think everything goes back to fit. It's a personal philosophy of mine. So if you have somebody in the right fit, they're going to soar. 
compared to somebody who's not in the right fit is probably going to struggle and could potentially leave the profession when all we have to do is change some things there. So I think it's all about your people. Um, You have to have mentors in place that are going to listen, that are going to talk to their mentees, that are going to find out more about their mentees that might um, help to guide them and coach them in new ways that they potentially have never thought of before. Um, So you need caring people that are going to listen. What do you think, Cedric? (laughs) I I absolutely agree. I think that even when you look at, in my side of the house, when it comes to equity and anti-discrimination practices, one of the things that we know that helps not only increase um, the diversity of a profession of teachers or managers, um, but also to increase the retention um, ties back to relationships. And some people think that you have to have Um, similar uh, demographic characteristics in order to be great mentors, in order for that mentorship to play a significant role in success. But really, um, as long as uh, people have similar values and and similar goals, you can have people who come from very different walks of life and learn from each other and actually um, help to not only um, increase the longevity of somebody's career as an educator, um, but also um, help to increase the likelihood that they would then uh, reach out to other people to bring into the profession um, as mentors. And that includes the students. So if somebody who's a teacher has a great mentor, great relationships, they're probably more likely to be um, great mentors, have great relationships with kids, and that in turn can help, um, help to boost that pipeline. What do you think, Ned Dale? Uh, You know, it's interesting, right? I mean, it's so important to pay attention to the culture of a school, uh, but it's also important, just like I said, um, I I don't, I haven't found a survey yet where we've assessed our our staff that we just hired mid-year to see how they're doing and and see how things are going. So, Mm. because if you have the right culture and if you're listening to your staff, uh, which we have tried to do, and we took that on this year as a major initiative, um, we, we are seeing progress in that area. Um, and again, it's also so important that your building leaders are well-trained um, because they make a huge difference. Um, I loved uh, being principal. It was probably my, uh, if I could say I had a favorite job, it was one of my, my favorite job. Uh, I loved being principal. It was a great opportunity. Uh, you know, we had a great culture, uh, you know, and again, now we're, we're building the culture in Hilton uh, and focusing on it. And it's just so important because our teachers are worth it. And if they uh, model what we hope to see out of our new teachers. Um, and we're one of the original districts uh, that worked with Adrian uh, in the TIF program. Uh, so we're, we're so pleased to partner with them because we know that if we have quality uh, fellows in, in our schools, that if we work with them, we've hired so many of our fellows, it's just a, it's a perfect partnership. And they're doing well, Ned? Oh, they do, they do great. And again, partly because in any one week, they can come in and they can work as a teacher aide one day, they can work as a teaching assistant one day, or they can be a teacher. Um, something that I saw as a principal was that oftentimes our youngest teachers would be uncomfortable or unsure of how to work with our support staff. So our support staff are so important, our teaching assistants and our teacher aides within those classrooms to make the learning happen. Um, but they would sometimes not sure how do I tell someone who might be uh, a little bit older than I am um, to help that student or take notes or, hey, if you could work with them on this, well, I'll come back to you. But, I'll, you know, those are so important. But again, it, it requires confidence. It requires someone who's comfortable. It requires uh, role model teachers to show them, oh, you know, sometimes when I work with that teacher aide, it's really helpful when she does this. Um, and so making those connections is just, again, so important. And again, Adrian has said it so well. 
Well, we have a lot of feedback from guests. Let me get through as much as we can in the remaining minutes here. Sheila says, Evan, your guest said that teaching has a negative perception, and that's spot on. Here's a few ways it could be made better. Number one, ditch the master's degree requirement until tenured, and then pay at least half the tuition. Every uh, entry-level teacher... Pay, uh, she says, entry-level teacher pay does not allow you to live comfortably with student loan payments for years. I just paid my last MSED loans off, and I'm retiring at the end of the year. Number two, teacher training programs need to be revamped to reflect the post-COVID generation. Minors in social work, psychology, or special ed should be required within the programs. And number three, what role do charter schools have on the looming shortage Wondering about that. As an FYI, my district unofficially has 130 teachers retiring. That is from Sheila. What do you make of those suggestions, Cedric? Um, I think that uh, on a national level, I absolutely agree with one uh, one key point of that, which is um, student debt um, has gotten way too high. And I'm from the generation, I'm 31 years old, and so I'm part of the generation where um, over 50% of us are still living with our parents. Um, for, 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 and one of that being one, one of the main reasons, and I think on a national level, level if we really uh, believe as a country that education is important, um, then I think we should have the conversation and, and take the steps necessary to, at the very least, um, make public education free for all students. And then on top of that, oh, I yeah, think, go ahead, Cedric. Um, yep. sorry. And on top of that, I think the, the student debt crisis um, should absolutely be addressed uh, by the federal government as the current administration is trying to do. OK, Ned Dale. Uh, you know, there's a great deal of research about whether uh, having a master's degree actually uh, improves student achievement. And the answer is probably no. Uh, and, and, I, and I cite that, you know, out of some great research, uh, you know, with John, John Hattie. Um, and that's research-based. Um, I think the other important part is, you know, my daughter's a freshman at Geneseo. Um, again, the cost of Geneseo is, is not uh, been cut by any means. It's $25,000 a year. Mm. Um, I've been for, fortunate to, to work hard and, and try to pay some of that for her, um, but she will come out with loans. Uh, but if you took that on an average and you said 25000 for four years for a bachelor's degree and a student came out with $100,000 in debt and took an entry-level teaching position, um, is that a sustainable wage? I, I think there's some I think there's some work, work to do on the higher ed level uh, with containing costs um, for, for speci specifically people getting into education. Adrian, what do you think? I think more education is needed in the sense that um, our our children who are graduating high school need to know what options are available to them and be strategic about those choices. Um, so he here's what I mean. Uh, if you have um, a student who is working as, let's say, a, a teaching assistant or a teacher's aide, then potentially they should be able to examine the contracts that are available to them per district to determine, hey, maybe a district will pay part of my tuition and be a little bit strategic about um, maybe what that could look like in getting into the field of education, but lowering some of those bills. Now, that would mean, though, that they need that education, right? So um, I know for, for TIFF, we're expanding our efforts into um, the high school level students so that we can make sure that they know about a TIFF and other positions as well that are in the field of education. Uh, Melina writes to us from Port Jefferson, says, I'm a former tenured music teacher from Greece Central who left teaching in 2010. I'm a secretary in Port Jefferson on Long Island. 
I assigned substitute teachers to cover other classes. I left teaching for personal reasons, including the lack of organization within the State Department of Ed regarding to the certification process, among other hang-ups. I am currently seeing a substitute shortage in my new role. I'd like to know what everyone thinks we can do to slow or turn around the trend in the field. How can we make teaching more enticing to our current elementary, middle, and high school students? I agree with what I've been hearing on the show about professional development, ingenuity and administrative support over perhaps raising the pay. So that is from Melina. So final thoughts, I think this is a great way to kind of wrap up this program. What she's saying is a lot of the support you're talking about for current teachers, young teachers is good. But what do you do to get elementary, middle, high school teachers wanting to do this in the first place? Um, Cedric Simmons, go ahead. Yeah, a few quick responses. One, um, I for the life of me still can't understand why um, we offer public school education from K through 12 um, for free because we recognize the importance of education, um, but don't do that through higher education. It, does, it makes no sense to me that we believe that folks should pursue um, and view education as important and yet have to pay upwards of $25,000 for, for going to Geneseo, um, one of our great um, 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 New York State schools. Secondly, I, I absolutely agree as far as um, taking up the question of how do we make the the career more enticing. One of the things that you can do um, that we are trying to do is to um, highlight for our for our current students um, what is it like to be a teacher and what are some of the things that they don't know about that goes into teaching um, to make sure that our teachers can um, take on some of those mentor roles and provide support and recognize that as at Greece at the very least, part of our value is taking care of the whole child. And when that does happen effectively, those students have those role models who they then want to um, be like when they grow up and pursue um, becoming a teacher. And then lastly, quickly, um, I believe that just like in higher education where you have um, faculty um, who, who focus primarily in the classroom and you have support staff who also focus on extracurricular activities, raising money to provide supports for those extracurricular activities. Um, I am interested in taking up the question of um, how can we get to a model where the state provides us resources so we can provide, so we can have staff who are dedicated to um, supporting those extracurricular activities that make school more enticing and fun for students. That also is education, but outside of the classroom. Ned, we got to keep it tight. We're only about 30 seconds. Go ahead, Ned. Yep. Nope. Uh, again, I, I think it's just important. We have a class at our high school called an intro to education class uh, where they're able to see that everybody has a favorite teacher. So you want you want to draw on the students ability to make those connections. Uh, we see that already. We see that in that classroom uh, through, again, great role models in our district. And we're fortunate in Hilton to have such great teachers. And Adrian Loftus, coordinator for the Teacher Emergent Fellows Program at Monroe to Orleans BOCES. Where do you want people to go to learn more about the program you've been running? Yeah, you can go right to the Monroe to Orleans BOCES website and search TIFF in the search bar. You'll find my page and our application uh, for the fall opens in April. Briefly, you think we can get more kids who want to do this in the future? Absolutely. 100% we can with pretty intense recruiting efforts. Thank you for being here, Adrian. Thanks for sharing your expertise. We appreciate having you. Our thanks to Ned Dale, Assistant Superintendent for Human Resources in the Hilton Central School District. Thank you, Ned. Thanks, Evan. And Cedric Michael Simmons. Cedric is Director of Equity for the Greece Central School District and a Ph.D. candidate. Cedric, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, and thank you for the book that you wrote, too, my friend. Oh, my goodness gracious. Going back ancient history. Uh, <laughs> by, by the way, as we close here, there's other programs we're just kind of scratching the surface on, but we'll talk in the future about take a look at teaching, the Teacher Cadet Pathway, Future Educators Club. There are things happening. We're going to see if they work. More connections coming up.